Hi, everybody. Welcome to Just Making Out Loud. My name is Desiree. Today with me, I have a special guest called Krasan Bernard. He is a, an athlete. He is a two-time Olympian, and he just wrote a book recently called Outcast, No Room at the Table for Conservative Blacks in America. I discovered him through a subscriber. Someone commented on one of my recent videos, and I found him doing a couple of interviews on YouTube, and I thought to have him on the channel to speak about issues with Black American culture, specifically because he is an immigrant from Jamaica, like myself, and he has a lot to say about that, about American politics, and about what it takes to succeed. So I'd like for him to introduce himself to you guys. I would want to just say thank you for that wonderful Into, um, introduction. Um, for me, you know what? I love to see this kind of attitude. This is amazing to know that I'm not the only immigrant to this country that is seeing things the way that I am seeing it. And um, hats off to you and hats off to what you're doing. Uh, uh, thank you for that. I was very, very excited when I discovered you. And I found your book, which I have in my hand right here. I decided Thank to you. read it before having you on the show. It's a very short read. I would recommend that everybody go and get the book, Outcast, No Room at the Table for Conservative Blacks in America, in Black America. I think that you can get an idea of what the book is about just from the title. But I'm going to ask Kastron to sort of go into what he lays out, the arguments that he lays out in the books. And I'll start off with asking, why did you write this book? What prompted you to write this book? Well, for one, when I first came to America, when I was heading here, I was told, you know what, you're going down south. And they're saying, you know what, they're white people, they are racist. Who told, racist. You? Who told you that? Who's Number there? of different people, whether we're Jamaicans, passing our people who are here, you know, immigrants who are here, you're going down south, you know, people that knew me, that, that that's... You know, that's a racist place you're going to. And then, you know, um, then when I got here, you know, they started telling me, you know what? The Democratic Party is a party for black people and the Republicans are racist. So I was like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. You know, I'm, I'm at camp, um, LSU on campus and um, meeting people from different walks of life and um, just not seeing what they were saying. I'm like, what am I missing? And it's like they're constantly saying, hey, you're not seeing it. You don't understand it, you know. And I'm like, what am I not seeing? Because when someone who is white or any other race look at me, they just see a black man. So I have to take them at face value. And I'm just not seeing it. And um, But in my head, there was still this, okay, maybe it's something they're not saying. Maybe it's something they're not doing. Maybe it's not something they're not conveying there might be some subconscious or subliminal whatever messages that they're sending and i said to myself you know what i need to find what this is but when someone tells you that there's always this idea look i need to be aware i need to be aware because they don't care about you like you think but the longer i lived here the more i realized that was just foolish to be honest for the most part Okay, um, thanks for your response. I want to give sort of my own response to that, that I never had that sort of be careful. Nobody really told me that, which I'm actually very grateful for because I didn't have any preconceived notions in my head. I sort of lived in upstate New York for a few years and um, pretty much most of the people that I've been surrounded with since being in the, being in, um, the U.S. are liberals. But I didn't really care about their politics. They were just 
in my opinion, most people in the U.S. are nice, whichever side they're on. But I have taken issue with um, the left side of American politics just on, based on their ideology and how they see that the world works. So I never had any of that. I need to be careful. And I didn't have that in my head. I didn't have that experience. And so when people started telling me afterwards that I should be careful, I was like, shut up, because I've been here. I already know what it's like. And what you're saying doesn't make any sense to me. And that doesn't mean that maybe there are people who have some prejudiced thoughts in their head, but they don't really affect me, that I can walk around and enjoy my experience and live my life. And I don't understand why someone is telling me to live in fear when I've had no cause to do that so far. So this sort of goes into the first thing that I noted down when reading your book was that you were describing that sort of commentary that you're receiving as being fed hatred. And I, I just love that, that term, feeding someone hatred, because that's what it is. I think that a lot of uh, um, minorities in the U.S., but especially black people in the U.S., are being fed <laughs> hatred. And it's just such a powerful image. And could you talk about that more? I tell you what, um, you know, um, the left, they're nice people. They have good intentions. And I'll get, get to your question in a second. But poison is poison. You know, if you keep people feeding people poison, it eventually will kill them. If, it, if it's not fatal instantly or progressively. Now, hatred. People, we know people have irrational fear, irrational hatred of people. Most times it's not very obvious. Most times it's not very explicit. So like you said, for you to live in that kind of fear is crippling, is mind blowing. And to control someone's actions and behavior by telling them something is no different from an abusive parent telling a kid to have an unhealthy fear of learning. It's abusive. So the hatred, when one of the things I have had to learn was that when you compartmentalize hatred as to see only white people can be racist, then you're missing the evil among yourself and you, f you fail to focus the light where the light needs to be focused on, which is yourself. You, so that's why I like to use evil. There are people with racial, strong racial prejudices. There are people with all kinds of different prejudices. There are people with biases. Some, some biases are good for your health because you need, if you see a tiger coming, the instinct would be say, to say, run. That's a bias and it's a prejudice, but it is to help you. They're healthy and unhealthy prejudices. And the unhealthy prejudices were like um, Jim Crow, you know, laws being used to restrict you. Those are unhealthy and they are explicit and those are crippling and those goes against who you are as a person. Your intrinsic rights are violated with those kind of um, laws. So one other thing I like to get people to see, you cannot miss evil in people. If you miss evil in people, then you will you will never convict or condemn the wrong among the people that look like you. And that's what I see a lot of going on in black America. They are, you know, not all, but some, they are constantly focused on white folks' actions and they're missing what's destroying their community, which is out of, out of um, control, um, out of um, wedlock birth, out of control crime and lack of education. Now, there are many factors that lead to the degradation of a, a particular group. But in general, because you are so focused on what the white folks are doing, you are basically missing what's going on within your community. And it's not saying there are not 
people out there with the intention to oppress or to cause harm. But those people in the American system will not have the opportunity to, 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 to do as much destruction if you're educated, if you have a solid family um, footing, and if you are able to see evil for what it is and call it wicked. Okay. I actually, I, I can't remember if you answered my question, but uh, you sort of got into this when you were saying, you were talking about your rights as a person being violated. And something that's very interesting about your book is that you distinctly come from a Christian viewpoint in terms of saying that our God-given rights are to be protected by laws. And it's not that the laws create them, but they are just a protection for them and also speaking about the history of um, the church in terms of uh, freedom for uh, black Americans and then mm -hmm. also in terms of desegregation and the civil rights movement so after just abolishment of slavery but then also creating equal um, legal um, rights for both black and white Americans. And could you talk about why you think that is so important specifically to come from a religious perspective versus a secular perspective when it comes to issues facing black Americans? Well, one, the Constitution was set up on godly principles, irrespective of what liberals or other people might want to say. The, the underlying, they might say some of the founders were deists or some of them were atheists, but the underlying principle, all men are created equal with unalienable rights endowed by the creator what creator are they referring to you know so with within that framework right there that's the embodiment of what america is about now the constitution with, with along with the amendments the amendments just explicitly state some of the things that the constitution protects it's not exhaustive it's not saying these 10 things are the only things that's why they have the ninth and the 10th amendment so rights rights, life, liberty, and, and individual, which is what John Locke talks about, but in the, in the, in the U.S. Um, Constitution, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happy, happiness. Those rights are what the church was able to use to advocate for bringing down the institution of slavery, for uh, Martin Luther King later on coming on in the civil rights movement, and, and in, in getting rid of the Jim Crow. They did not go from it as the black man is being oppressed. They didn't go from it from racial oppression, this race, this group, that class. They said, we are all created equal, equal in the eyes of the creator, which life needs to be respected. Murder violates life, which I talk about in the book. Slavery violates liberty and too much taxes um, by, by the government will take what you own, your property. So when you start talking in those sense, instead of saying the man is fighting against me because I black or because I look a certain way because I have a certain accent or whatever the case is, you miss, instead of saying, you are infringing on my rights to be, um, to carry out my function um, in society. So um, I know it's probably not directly answering, but I hope I'm able to answer your question in the broader context of what I just said. Because rights, it's, it's, it's not something that can be narrowly defined. Yeah, I think you did a good job of sort of expounding on what I had asked. And you again, there's something else I noted down that you sort of touched upon, which is that you think, and I completely agree with this, that in order to solve a lot of racial issues in the United States, there needs to not be this separation of black America versus simply America. And you're talking about these issues being approached as 
individuals being endowed rights by the creator, not as trying to talk about black Americans specifically. And I think that that's very true, that it needs to be about individual rights that are universal and that apply to everybody. And this, you can't, I'm not saying that you can erase the culture, but when it comes to solving issues as America, it can't be about only focusing on one group of people. No, it should be about everybody and the things that are common among everyone and how to make it so that each person can prosper without violating the rights of everybody else. And I really like that you touched upon that. Now, something... Um, um, sorry, you, go ahead. That, that mentality of just what you said, it perpetuates victimization. Meaning when you start... Imagine a family with four children, okay? Same family. Mom and dad is doing everything for those kids to, to succeed. But, you know, say little Johnny or Jimmy decided that I'm different. Now, they're choosing to make that decision to be different. They're choosing not to work hard. They're choosing to disobey the rules. But what what the one or two parent might do is to make excuse. Little Jimmy is just a little slow. Little Jimmy is this. Instead of holding Jimmy's feet to the fire and says, you need to do what is necessary. And we will help you if you're doing what is necessary. But if we're helping you and you keep boxing, as they say, or hitting our hands away, then you need to figure things out on your own. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's something I have a very, very strong issue with. I had a, somewhat of an argument with someone not so long ago about um, voter ID laws, and they were going on about how it's used to target demographics. And to me, in my mind, because they know that certain demographics tend to not have these things. And I was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They, everybody has to come under the exact same standards. And it's like in their minds, they think that they're helping, but all they can think about is growing up. I set high standards for myself because I was told to have high standards for myself. I didn't have someone yes. trying to make everything easier for me. And it, it, it doesn't allow you to build up your character. And to me, when people talk like that, all I hear them saying is, I am not trying to make the best person come out of these people I'm trying to help. I'm just trying to lower everything to meet them where they are. But that is not how people grow. And to, to, I don't know, this is something that I'm very passionate about. I hate the setting of different standards or trying to set different standards in efforts to help people. Because if you really want to help people, then you help them become the best version of themselves that yes. they can be. And that requires challenging them and inspiring them to move and not just be complacent, basically. Um, so yes. Um, something know, I wanted to, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. And I think I talked about that in, I think it's chapter four or chapter five, this setting the bar. You know, um, the guys who went ahead didn't have any bars. They just went and just blazed trail. But then because they are they have accomplished so much and they've had so much success, they are being told the reason why they are having this success is because of how they look, not because they work hard and not because capitalism has worked in their advantage. People saw what they have and rewarded them. So now you're setting the bar this low and saying, you just clear this bar. And because you're clearing this bar, you deserve to be up there with this guy who has sacrificed so much to be where they are and it is so unfair mm -hmm. but I, it's so funny that you're saying that because a lot of people will hear you use the word unfair there and, and from the u.s and be like what what are you talking about they're not used to hearing the, the word unfair using that context in terms of it's not unfair for minorities but it can be unfair for someone who has worked really hard to get a certain place and then their achievements are not acknowledged just because they look 
a certain way and it's an assumption. Yeah, it could very well be true that someone got to some place and they didn't actually work for it. But I think yes. for most people, they do work for it. And you can't just make that distinction just based on the way someone looks. No, you have to actually know their background and who they are. You, you, you yes. can't just say that. And that's that's a whole issue with identity politics. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I did watch, you had an interview with uh, Jesse Lee Peterson, who's yes. working in terms of building up the family um, in, in the black family in the U.S. I really admire. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I did catch the part where you were talking about the spirit of uh, evil when it comes to racial slurs. And I also read that in your book. And that's something that you put into words very well, because that's something that I had never, and maybe you, it was similar for you, I'd never encountered this yes. kind of stuff in Jamaica. Like people don't really use your race to attack you because it doesn't make no. sense, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then coming and then coming to the to the U.S. and experiencing that for the first time, but not I only explicitly I online I think even online but I only explicitly experienced that like people feel comfortable saying that when it comes from Black Americans because I think that there might be um, white Americans or, or other Americans because they're not just white and Black Americans who mm -hmm. maybe think a certain way but they don't feel that they can express that to your face because they will be socially condemned. However, yes. for black Americans, because nobody's condemning them because they don't have the same standards, you're likely to get hit with that. And um, I want you to talk about that specifically, about that it's the same expression of hate that's coming. You know, that's why, you know, it was so important earlier when I said, when you compartmentalize evil, that is a result. Now, take the Nazis and the Jews. The Jews were a hardworking group of people, but they were demonized and saying they were doing a lot of evil things to get their wealth. Not that they were hardworking, industrious, educated people. So what they were able to do, use with that rhetoric, was to say, these people got their wealth this way. So when you can demonize a group of people, then you take the human element away from them. Now, it's almost like you're describing a thing. An, uh, an object versus a person. So when you perpetuate evil upon these people, then it's no biggie. It's just like killing an unborn baby. You're saying this is not life. It's the same mentality. So what you find with these guys when they're speaking, when they have been indoctrinated and told you cannot be racist or prejudiced in condemning or you know going after someone like myself and saying you're this or you're that. You you can do that, but they root root um the root of all of that is coming from a wicked heart mm -hmm. and if your if your heart is evil it doesn't matter if you're black or white it still is evil and for you to be able to say call someone white um a certain derogatory term and um and someone else black and you think that it's okay because history had a there was a history of slavery and jim crow then you're delusional. And that is what is going on with a lot of these guys who continue to say, we cannot be um, racist. We cannot be evil. We cannot be prejudiced because we're oppressed. Mm -hmm. Now, if we continue to go along those lines, what's going to happen? Sooner or later, someone might say, you know what? We're not, you know, they're not humans. Just get rid of them. Yeah, I, I do think about That's that, um, I guess, backlash sort of. Um, but I, I have faith 
in people that, you know, if, say, um, white people in the U.S. started to get angry about being basically discriminated against because of historical injustice, I think that enough people in the present have good in their heart to stop that, like, bad part of uh, white people um, from acting out their resentment over what's happening in society today and also not just stopping other people but within their own hearts um not doing what a lot of black people are doing now which is um using historical injustice to fuel resentment for what's happening today to them personally that hasn't that does not have to do with systemic oppression but things that might other things that might be going on in their life i'm kind of going off on a tangent right now um so something else that you mentioned is that there are not a lot of conservative role models for black people in the U.S. and that there are probably many celebrities who sort of have to hide because I guess their black card will be revoked. And you, you go a bit into the history. His, the book, by the way, for people watching, starts off with a, setting a historical context. For what's going on today and uh, it's sort of like a short overview that I think it's very insightful like it, at least it was for me though some of you may know it already and uh, I think that that's very true that people in the U.S. who are black I, I think especially if you reach certain heights within the quote-unquote black community you can't speak your opinion out of fear for I guess losing your fan base and I want you to talk more about that. Tell me your opinion on that matter. You know, Steve Harvey was invited to meet the president and he, he came under uh, so much attack for, for just meeting with the current president, which makes no sense. You know, um, if someone need to want to understand what's going on in your life, then you have to give them an opportunity to sit at the table. You have to give an opportunity to, 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 to speak and, and, and to hear you speak so you can come to an understanding because you're saying you're not listening. Your policies doesn't reflect any of those things for us. And that's because people have told you are different. Now, to the celebrities, I am still looking for major celebrities out there that will say your behavior has to stop. The music industry and the church, they are in almost seem like they're in they're working together, whether it's just by just happenstance or whatever. I'm not sure, but there I I'm yet to see a major A-list black celebrity comes out and says, "You need to pull your bootstrap up. You need to understand that there are prejudices out there. You need to understand that there's evil out there. But that is not going to stop you from reaching your goal." Because even with people that look like yourself, they will try to sabotage you. Not just yeah. <laughs> white folks, but the Very people weird. who are closest to you. Yes. So, it, so let people know, yes, there are challenges. But for you to get to where you are, if this, if this country was so racially charged, then you couldn't have the guy that's the, the president of BET. And, I, you know, he came out and made a comment yesterday that, you know, there are a lot of good things happening in the economy. Now, hats off to, to him. He's actually given the president credit. That's if I will say, yes, he has been the first major black person that I ever heard come out and said, I like what he's doing. 
His tax plans are working for the, the for the black community. Black and unemployment is lower, but there there are not enough people like that out there. And a lot of people in the black community, not all, take that cue from their celebrities. And these celebrities know that, and they and they are just using it, and they're milking it, and they're exploiting it. And that's yeah. it. That's it. That's that's the sad reality of it because. They want you to see color first because, to me, my opinion, it has buying power if you can keep a certain amount of black folks focused on color. They will only support color. So, to me, it's a business decision when they are pushing some of those lines. I'm not saying things don't happen. We're not, we're not sitting here and saying discrimination don't happen. But to what extent? I think you, you asked... You're not, you're not sure. You said you're not sure why the media, like entertainment industry and the church, are working together. And I would say that it's due to the consolidation of power. It's just regular human vice. And yes. then um, you mentioned at the beginning of the book uh, that for the conservative platform to reach more that people, that they need to perhaps shift their messaging on perceived. I like that you put the word perceived racial issues. And um, I actually somewhat disagree with that because you sort of mentioned it just now where you were saying that if you if people speak on the platform of color, then they will get a response. And I think that that is a, a vice within the hearts of many black Americans that they would rather, I guess, feel safe than think for themselves. And they would rather see their own specific group succeeding rather than thinking about the needs of all Americans. And that's actually quite selfish. So yes. in some ways, I think that what's happening within the black community is due to their own vices. And nobody <laughs> else can fix that for you but um, yourself. So I think that the fact that people can go up there and say color 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 like like someone like Hillary Clinton right like that's really like they just appeal to to your physical identity and that you respond to that then it's your fault that the policies that come into play affect you badly even though you may not realize that um so that that's just something that i wanted to to say I'm not sure that the conservative platform can really do much for people who that's what they respond to um actually not, not maybe you could yeah sorry not necessary i think and that's why i said the perceive that's why i use that term perceive because when you look you, it, truth it doesn't matter what who is saying it if it's factual it's just factual and um you said a lot that that is so true they are all we are all responsible for our actions if if you are that shallow to allow color to be your de the determining factor if you support or buy then you are doing yourself a disservice and that's why you're probably still at the bottom in most areas because someone is able to exploit your color for their own purposes because you are not thinking along uh, you're not thinking along the lines of i can do better i don't have to receive this you can say it but i don't have to receive it you know i want better and yes the messaging is so strong and corrosive though and it takes education. Okay. Well, the, you mentioned this in um, your book, and a lot of people know this, but when you say it takes education, it also takes 
not leaving your education or your children's education in the hands of uh, government officials. And uh, this kind of ties into what you were talking about with the church, which is something, which, this is still true in Jamaica, actually, but that there was a strong, um, the history of education, particularly for black Americans in the U.S., after slavery was through the church and that is how many people became educated and the idea was that people within their communities decided to take responsibility for educating themselves or educating their community members and that there's now this (laughs) there's now this idea that the school is responsible for teaching you morality You, you mentioned that and also responsible for educating you about just how to think um and that if your the education of your children is in the hands of the government, eventually, even though it may start out not this way, it becomes an arm of the government and a yes. way to indoctrinate and propagandize the next generation, which is exactly what is happening right now. This is something yes. that you point out yes. in your book. Um, I, I think that's all I have to say about that. Okay, I was about to find a quote that I wrote down. Okay. I did. I really enjoyed. <laughs> I enjoyed reading your book. I, make sure you go on um, Amazon and you do your review also. I, I, <laughs> okay. Um, and I've enjoyed watching some of your videos too. I am. I'm enjoying it because okay. it is so refreshing. Yes. And you, young, you're energetic. And let me tell you, stay strong. Okay. <laughs> strong. Truth always wins out. We can always buy into the illusions of life. We can always play into the illusions, but truth always wins and for yourself and like myself that's why it's called outcast mm-hmm. keep doing it keep thank you tr- i appreciate that thank you um all right so all right so there's this paragraph i'm going to read it says when we agitate for justice we first must honestly address the causes and be honest with the process could fewer black men be incarcerated the answer is yes now the other question is Could fewer black men be jailed without violating the natural rights of people's due process? That is a question to ponder. So I think what you are trying to get at here is that, yeah, you could reduce the number of black men in jail, but are they committing violence, I guess, or not necessarily violence, but are they violating other people's rights? And can you still reduce that number of incar- the incarceration rates of black men while still respecting other people's rights? And I think that that's the question no one likes to think about because it involves criticizing. And yes. anybody who does that is deemed racist or whatever. But I, I love the way you phrased the question in, in your book. It, that question took a lot of time because, you know, you sit there and you're reading all this the information and statistics and you're saying, okay, I think the, the the percentage of men who are in jail um, unjust, unjustly are very, very small, very small. So most people are there commit or has committed, um, you know, have committed some kind of crime. So when you start looking at it, you say, how do you then ask the question? Because like you said, the minute you say something, oh, no, the system is unjust. It's designed to trap black men and it's designed to incarcerate you know it's designed to keep black men in jail and destroy the black family but you still there the law works only if you're violating principles life liberty and property 
that's how the law, that's how it works. So can you show me someone who is in jail, um, most of the people that are in jail that has not, that have not violated those principles? Can you really make a case? And then can you then tell me that the principles and the, 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 the laws that they violated were just designed f to keep black men in jail? They murder, they steal, they do all, you know, they sell drugs. Those things are attacking people. And people will say, how, how did the drugs or how did the guns get there? That's not important. Morality, if you're a moral person, you will refuse it. Because this country, unlike most countries, is a very prosperous and a wealthy country. So yeah. irrespective of what you believe to be the case that you're being left somewhere to fend for yourself, you don't have to go to what you believe someone is bringing into the community, whether it's drugs or gun. It says more about you, your character than the people who are bringing in. The people who are bringing in those things already, they have no values. They have no respect for life. But you don't have to go that way and say, I couldn't feed my family. I need to feed my family. I need to have what this person um, over here, you know. It's a choice. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a, you so, have a choice. Yeah. So you 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 really when you address it, if being honest, can you say to yourself that they are there because this system only traps black men? That's disingenuous to me. Yeah, I think I, I do take a tiny bit of an issue in terms of drugs, depending on the kind of drugs, because um, I think there shouldn't be that much restriction on drugs. But at the same time, um, I feel very little sympathy when it comes to that stuff because it's being applied equally. So. Um, a lot of, I don't want to get into too much detail, yes. but I do have an issue with drugs, like possession of drugs being a criminal offense, but there's also the frequency. So it's not just if you have something, it's like how often you've been caught. And I think if the law says a certain thing, then you follow the law. So, and if everybody else has to follow that law, then so do you, even if one group of people ends up being incarcerated more. So I don't want to get too much into that. Um, I'm going to try and sort of wrap it up a bit. So I'm going towards the end. And okay. um, something that you talk about is uh, vic the victimhood mentality and about feeling pain and anger and resentment and that that generally comes from those closest to us and that you should, well, you didn't really say this, but I just presume from you saying that it's those negative experiences and emotions generally come from people closest to us that that means you have to work it out within yourself and it's not something that you can project onto the outside world or onto a certain group of people like white people and say that they're the person causing you the most um suffering and could you talk about that i think it's so important in terms of how you decide to live your life and face the things that affect you negatively you can choose to think on something or you can choose not to you can choose to believe something or you, you can choose not to. Um, when people are reacting, you are from, say you're from a very, your, your family life was just abusive, just chaotic, no structure, you know, or it might have seemed structured to the outsider, but you have, you have a, um, had a parent who was abusive or who was just, you know, not doing what they were supposed to do as a parent. Or you've had a close family member who has abused you, or whatever the case is, you tend to react based on those incidents um, to what, say, you out there in the street and you see someone and someone said something to you like, 
hey, you know, don't park your car right there. And they might say it with a, look, don't park it, you know, with a very firm tone. And you might just go off and say, what are you talking about? Well, there's a piano about to fall down in your car. So they're just telling you, get away from there. But you, you're reacting to, because someone that was close to you was very abusive and talked to you in those terms. And you have to be able to distinguish between those instances or situations. So when someone white says, look, there's a, there's a crime problem in the black community, they're not sitting there and saying, you for, um, per se is a criminal, but you need to address those issues so you can be at least more cohesive as a country, as a community. Otherwise, you will always be reacting to everything someone is saying to you based on what you believe they are, the, what, what you, where you believe they're coming from because of your past. And that is dangerous. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure if I, uh, I answered the question the way you were hoping. Well, I just wanted you to talk a bit, Barney. I, I think you did. Um, and I think it's clear for people. But I just, I just, to me, this is very, very, a very key way of understanding life and the world is that when something, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, but I definitely don't do this when it comes to racial stuff. Um, maybe I do it in other ways when, it, when just interacting with other people in the world. It's very, very easy for you to have a negative experience and not realize that a lot of it is stemming from things that have happened to you in the past that maybe resonates, like the emotional feeling um, is very similar and you attribute it to the present situation, but it's actually because of your unresolved issues. And um, whenever I think about the, the almost 80% out of wedlock birth rate and knowing um, that in a two-parent household, it provides so much mental and emotional stability. That's, those are your words, mental and emotional stability. That anybody who does not have that, they're not saying that they can't overcome that or, or work through it or it can't cripple them for, it will cripple them or something for life. But if you never address that so that you can't overcome it, that is something that you are walking around with. And then when some politician goes up on stage and says that like these people are the cause for your pain, you completely forget to address that stuff that's within you, which is really what will help you move forward. You know, so I think that the, the best thing that people can do is to work on those issues in them, within themselves so that, first of all, they help themselves in terms of how they experience life to experience it better, but also so that, they don't, so that they do not pass it on to their children. And that, I think, will be what fixes those 77% out of wedlock birth rates within the, the black community. And it also goes for people outside of the black community. That's something, that's something again you talk about, is the destruction of the family. This is widespread in America and it's more concentrated in the black community, but it's not just limited to the black community. And that 30%, 30% of the white community is high. That's over 60, so, so that's almost 60 million people. So, mm -hmm. You, you know, and you, you bring something up and you nail what I was saying with when you project what you have experienced on a, onto someone else. That's so dangerous. And a lot of time it, it, it causes us to react irrationally. It re, because we're focusing on the emotion of that past hurt, that past um, displeasure. And we're using it as a means to interpret the current situation. And you really hit that out of the park. I really like that. That's when I was writing it. That's what I wanted to, you know, people to get from that situation. And you talk, you know, say, for instance, you have a bicycle, you know, 
is designed to be written with two wheels. Well, some people, some people are really good and they, they're good at riding the unicycle, you know, but will the unicycle work as well as the bicycle that has two <laughs> wheels? You know? <laughs> yes, I see what you mean. It's a simple analogy, but yeah, you're talking about the family and the structure yes. of the family. Yes. Yes. And there, maybe there will be other ways that families can be structured, but just as we know it right now and about what works best for people, it's a two, it's a two parent household. And uh, that should be the thing that people like Black Lives Matter are, are like marching on streets about. That's what it should be, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, that does bring money. It doesn't bring money from the activists. It doesn't bring money from the people who are on the left who has agendas. It doesn't bring money from them. So, um, it's all about the bottom line for some of these groups um, being funded. I think us coming as immigrants have it a bit easier because we just weren't inundated with that messaging all our lives. So you don't have that like familial um, almost bondage, you know, because you can't stray too far from what your family yes. thinks. And then also just having to overcome the programming because that's kind of what it is. It could be correct and good, but in this case, I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and you know, the thing is, I like about mostly, especially the culture back home at 16, you, you have to make a decision as to what you'll do here. I think people are babied a little too long, especially yeah. boys at 18 should be out the house the minute they're finished with high school. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're going to college, you have a job, you need to fight because that's the only way you learn yourself. And um, I just find that so many people are being crippled. They, yourself, you're young. I came here, I was young and I had to learn. But I also, like I said, had that advantage of seeing things from a different perspective where I, I didn't hear in my household, this person is oppressing you. I didn't yeah. see my same man, let me see what the government is going to do. No, he just worked. He knew he had school fees to pay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. And, yeah. And he had mouths, mouths to feed. And um, that's what I grew up hearing. And people here can apply those things and, and silence the negative voices of, oh, you know, this is going on. You can't, you can't change someone's heart, but you can do what you can do within yourself to become a better person. Yeah, 100% agree with that. That you should focus on yourself. So I'm gonna end this right now. I wanted to end with my favorite quote from from your book. Um, it is, "If you want to be prosperous, you have to go it alone. No one else knows or sees your dreams, so do not be fooled into believing that anyone else has your best interests at heart." And I think you were referring to like politicians and uh, people who claim to want to help you. And I love that no one else knows and sees your dreams. And you cannot assume that they have your best interests at heart. I wanted to ask you to tell people where to find your book. Okay. My books are um, on Amazon. Some, of, um, some Barnes & Noble stores um, have my books also. But we're still working on the distribution channels. But you can go to Amazon.com and get my book for right now. And um, you talk about something else, you know, with that quote, you know, as an athlete, you know, in my book, I was born a winner. And I learned that you have to go after your own dreams. And that is that was what was so instrumental in getting me where I am. I was not trying to be an athlete. I just wanted to go to college. And, you know, when I was pushing myself, there were there were a lot of negativities, lots and lots and lots. And um, 
you have to realize what's in it for you. But again, my book, you can go to Amazon.com and um, that's where you'll find them for the most part. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Kasnon, for coming on to the show. I enjoyed meeting you. I enjoyed reading your book. Thank you for writing it. Thank you very much. And I appreciate you taking the time out to, to reach out to me. I mean, it's, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And I'm, you know, I'm thankful. You're welcome. We had a, a bit of a conversation earlier that maybe some Jamaicans might enjoy hearing us talk about our background in Jamaica. Where in the islands do you grow up? Kingston. Oh, Lord. <laughs> what high school? I went to Campion. Oh, Lord. Campion. Yeah. I, I, I have no comments. You know, you know, I went to a school that had a sister, sister school that was just down the street. George's? We were on top of the hill. Huh? Were, you, is that George's? Is that what you're talking about? No, I went to Monroe. No, no, Monroe? No. I didn't know Monroe, Monroe had... Oh, oh, what? Did, oh, you're saying Monroe had a sister school. Yeah, I thought when you initially asked me the question, I thought you meant um, if... Campion, as in the school you went to was Campion Sister School, not that you had a sister school for your school that was close to Campion. But now I, I understand where. Yes. Yes. And Campion has, Campion's been dominating the landscape with the road scholars lately. Yes, for <laughs> four years, I think for years now. Yeah. Yes, been taking away Monroe, uh, you know, stealing Monroe's thunder. <laughs> you guys still haven't caught up yet, though. <laughs> This is I'm funny. Leave that I forget huh? how how uh, school school spirit is very high <laughs> in Jamaica. It's, it's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> I tell you, I always take a every time 